Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. For the first time in my life, I had like a severance and I had like money where I could just be like, okay, what do you want to do? You're not on the rat race. What do you want to do next? And I was like, oh, I want to, I want to be an entrepreneur. You know, like it was like, yeah, I still love film and I still love creativity, but something just was on my heart that it was like, no, this is the realm you're going to go in. Everyone, I'm your host, Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Bee. Today's guest is Chana Janelle Ewing, founder and CEO of Genie. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Bee on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Your ratings and reviews mean so much to us. So let's talk about Chana. Chana self-funded a subscription box company called Genie Box that featured books, lifestyle products, and experiences curated by iconic Black women. This experience led to her most recent role as founder and CEO at Genie, a cultural-first beauty platform for undiscovered creators. Coining the phrase, culture-first beauty, the startup has been heralded at the forefront of intersectionality and Gen Z marketing in the beauty space. Jeannie has been featured in Beauty Independent, Well and Good, Fashionista, Yahoo Money, Bustle, Birdie, Essence, and so many more. Chana, welcome to Business of the Beat. I'm so excited to have you here with us. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me, Kendra. I'm really excited to be here. Well, and I have to say, I know um, it's been a busy time for you, and you had your first cultural first happy hour recently, which is really exciting. And I love the post that I saw on your brand's website. It's like an, a, a culmination of Pride Month and it's Juneteenth and everyone's trying to do all the things. So congratulations on that. How did that event come about? Yeah, thank you. So last year um, we did like, it was like our first time bringing together Pride and Juneteenth last year for the first time. And it was a much smaller event. You know, we maybe had about 30 people. Um, and, and we did the same event again in this year on the same location. And it was like 75 people. So we like doubled in size. Um, but this year we really wanted to put a finer point around um, the connection of multiple identities and how we exist in the world today and celebrating 
you know, um, my, myself as a Black founder, as a Black queer founder, and celebrating the fact that Juneteenth is now a federal holiday, um, Pride Month has become a commercial endeavor for quite some time. Um, and Juneteenth, I hope that it doesn't become the same level of commercial endeavor as Pride is, because, you know, there's a lot of uh, challenges, I think, around this idea of like, you know, brand support and brand investment versus um, brand uh, uh, brand inappropriateness and just, you know, like being like what we saw going on in, I guess I'm going to say Walmart, for instance, like, you know, you, you saw that it's the freedom for me um, uh, packaging and red, black, and green, which are not even the colors for Juneteenth. So, you know, we don't want to see the same thing happen to Juneteenth, what has happened to Pride Month, you know, like, we're glad that it's a federal holiday and that, you know, the holiday is being acknowledged on a bigger platform so all Americans understand the history and legacy. Um, But, you know, what we, when we decided to do an event, it wasn't about like, okay, like, let's just like throw some, you know, red, black, and green flags together and some rainbow flags together and bring the bring communities together and also talk about the intersectionality between them is really about like being thoughtful um being celebratory but also understanding the roots of both of these moments in our um american history um so yeah we did that last year we did it again this year um you know our audience is primarily Black queer folks um, who, who attend the event. So it's a really nice, nice opportunity for them. Um, but obviously we have a lot of allies and people from all backgrounds as well. Um, and really it's a moment of joy. And also it's a moment for us to talk about what's next for the brand and like let people know what we've been up to at Genie. So um, that was this past Wednesday, and I'm still recovering. It was a great, great afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I love that. And congratulations. And you've brought up so many things that I want us to dive into. And two things to kind of take a step back and kick us off. You mentioned being a Black queer founder, and you also talked about understanding the roots of our American history. So take us back when we think about your roots and your history and getting to this point of being a Black queer founder, tell me everything. Like, where did you grow up? How did you get this sensibility? What has really driven you to be so profound in talking about our roots and being able to identify in a way that really reflects who we are? Yeah, that's such a great question. And thank you for it. I think I'm going to bring this back to like high school, actually, which is that yes. in high school, um, I became super fascinated with history to the point where like um, I um, started a government club, like so to talk about government and politics. Wow. Um, I also um, at the time was in like uh, government and also history AP. And I also um, ran for and was like student council vice president and then president. Um, so I, I at some point, I mean, that would lead you to think that I would like was going to go into a career in politics, you know, because of all of that interest in government and history. And, but I guess at the, you know, in that time in my life, I just um, was really fascinated with 
the story of us, the story of like, you know, I, I think like all of us in high school are trying to understand who you are, you know, and for whatever reason, my understanding of like who I was, it vacillated between becoming religious and also studying history. So like at the same time, I also randomly by myself decided to get baptized and started going to church and like, and it was just all about, like, if I look back on that time, it was just really all about like trying to find a sense of like understanding of my life and grounding it in something. So like, you know, initially trying to ground it in church didn't necessarily make that much sense to me as I continued on that journey. And, but then I, when I started to ground it in history and understand like, oh, okay, my like my family was a part of the great migration. So my family started off in the South and then they went to Chicago and then they ended up in Boston. And like, so knowing that that actually, this is a story of my family, but then also this is the story of many black families in the US. It just, it really resonated with me to just understand us from this shared experience. So then when I, by the time I went to college, I also studied African-American studies because I was just already bit by this, bug of wanting to understand us from like a socio-political perspective. Um, And so when I graduated, I knew I just wanted to go into storytelling. Um, And with that initially, I thought that the most, the the best place you, when you think you want to be a storyteller, the the most natural place to go is film. Um, And so I moved to New York to to work in film, worked on a lot of production sets, did some script supervising, now, this is like pre like, um, you know, Kickstarter and like, you know, Indiegogo and like all these things that kind of made it easier for indie independent films to happen. And like, I guess that was like the mid, like mid aughts or whatever have you. So like that was around the time I moved to New York. And so I was just, just doing the production route and, and like trying to make a living, working on some screenplays. And then at some point I'm like, okay, I need to make some money, <laughs> you know, like I mean to make some money. <laughs> yes. um, so I got a full-time job thinking that it would just be a day job. And I wound up at McKinsey and Company um, uh, in their media and entertainment practice working for two partners. And um, that was transformative to me because that introduced me to the world of consulting and introduced me to the world of, you know, packaging ideas and then sharing them with businesses. And um, since 2009, 2010, I got laid off and then I jumped immediately into entrepreneurship. And so we're now in like year 12 of me being an entrepreneur, first as a digital marketer, working, by the way, on films still, you know, so I became on the other side of films, a film marketer. And then I had the, uh, the concept of Genie initially as a subscription box company. Um, and then we pivoted to a marketplace and then pivoted again. Um, well, actually, this latest uh, iteration is not really a pivot. It's more of like an evolution is what we're calling it. But Genie, again, that was born out of this idea of like, you know, how do I, because now I'd been bit by the entrepreneurial bug. Now, how do I tell a story from a consumer perspective? And so the first iteration of Genie was a subscription box company that was like, uh, what we would say like little Oprah's and their favorite things. So we would have <laughs> different black women curate a box around their story, their lifestyle, and they would pick different products for that box and then tell us a story about who they are through those products. Um, and 
what happened there was that like beauty ended up being the biggest driver. And so we decided to just fully turn that into like a beauty marketplace. Um, and when we did that, what happened there was like, okay, here's the time that like, I, I started to notice what was happening with beauty, which is that like, yes, black women are leading beauty, but also Gen Z, which is a, a very multicultural, very much like beyond the gender binary, uh, very much like forward thinking as it as it as it pertains to race, gender, class, sexual orientation, like all of that. I wanted to like lay all that in into this newest endeavor so that we could really create an experience that was intersectional and really thoughtful and spoke to the experiences of people today and how they show up in multiple ways. So it's a very like long trajectory, but I guess if I had to sum it up, it was, it started off as first being really interested in history and seeing the ways in which history impacted people and our experiences of the world. And then now that thinking has influenced all of the work I've done subsequently. Wow. I am so happy that you took the time to walk through the narrative of it because, you know, we always say that no one leaves childhood unscarred, but no one leaves childhood without an impression that's going to take them into their future and how they show up as an adult. And so when we think about this notion of I'm trying to find a sense of understanding in my life, which is what you said, we all, right? High school is that time where you're like, what am I doing? Who am I? I too was baptized in high school. And so we're all, you know, we're trying to figure out that piece of ourselves. And so I love this interesting notion of how do you take social political perspective and look through the lens of history? And it is an interesting combination of being a founder in terms of curating a box, but it's rooted on history because the way that you got there was who was leading history, who's driving trends, and how do we set so much intention to create a box that resonates with that. So the, the interesting thing is your vice president, your president, you go to school, you end up doing film, and then you go to McKinsey. Talk about that a bit more because McKinsey just, of course, published their Black Beauty Report. McKinsey, um, I hate to use the term breeds, but it does breed intelligence. <laughs> um, and even in terms of business. So that bridge between I'm at McKinsey, how did you take those learnings in that business and then inform how you would set out to be an entrepreneur? I really love what you just said and how you put that all together, because one of the things that I often say is that bringing in a humanities perspective into entrepreneurship is really key. And it's it's so often like other, other friends of mine who are very much like African-American studies majors, humanities lovers, they end up, you know, we go into writing. I did write a children's book as well. We go into writing, we go into politics, we go into all these other arenas and we end up analyzing the business world and talking about how, how horrible (laughs) capitalism can be (laughs) and how like inequality and the ways in which, you know, the roots of inequality and how capitalism is set up to harm marginalized people. Right. And all of these things are, we're not wrong, right? But what needs to happen is more people who have a humanities lens 
going into entrepreneurship and building businesses that are sustainable, that have value, that are thoughtful, that are intentional, and that are really thinking about other thinking about communities, right? And I think there's not enough of us who have this kind of disciplined humanities thinking going into business. And that's part of the reason why I shared the story, because that's really one of my big passions. That's what I would like to see more of. Business should not be the domain of just people who want to make money or just MBA grads. Like that's not, you know, that's why the economy will stay where it is. If it continues to be the domain of people who are just trying to make money and don't see business as an opportunity to drive impact, right? And transform lives. So um, yeah, and I think when I, I had not heard about this concept of consulting before I came in um, like as an executive assistant to two partners who were leading the media and entertainment practice. So when you're in that role, you're basically, everything that they're doing, I'm seeing everything that they're doing is coming across my desk. And I thought I was just taking this job to make some money, but like I was fascinated because imagine like here I am thinking that I want to be a filmmaker and their clients are like Viacom and, you know, Disney and like, you know, these big organizations that like I would want to work for on the small scale, but I'm now seeing, I'm reading their decks and their problems and the solutions and thinking like, oh, like it just opened up my mind in a, in a, in a different way as an artist and as a storyteller, like, oh, like I wasn't thinking about this at all. Like when I was thinking about this random story that I want to tell, you know what I mean? Like it just didn't, yes. it didn't, it didn't, it didn't cross my mind the business and economics around all of that. So that's what McKinsey really did for me was just that, you know, really grateful that like um, it gave me this business perspective and, you know, my part, the partners that I worked for at the time, they were just a few years older than me too. So, you know, it, it was also interesting to be, work for peers, but like who had just chosen a different path, you know, professionally. Um, and so when I got laid off, you know, right in that like 2009 big layoff moment, Mm-hmm. Um, for the first time in my life, I had like a severance and I had like money where I could just be like, okay, what do you want to do? You're not on the rat race. What do you want to do next? And I was like, oh, I want to, I want to be an entrepreneur. You know, like it was like, yeah, I still love film and I still love creativity, but something just was on my heart that it was like, no, this is the realm you're going to go in. Right. And it was a bold decision because I didn't know and like as much as I knew, I didn't know a lot. You know, like I didn't. There was a lot that I knew, but there was a lot that I did not know, right? And you know, um, a friend of mine who I met around that time, she was at my event this past Wednesday, and she like listened to me talk, and she was like, "Wow," she's like, "You now got it," and I was like, "Thank wow. you." I was, and I said to her, "Finally," I was like, "Finally," she's like, "Well, you know, they say it takes ten years," and I was like, "Yes, they do." And this is not, you know, something that we often don't talk about. Like, yeah, we're all, you know, startup founders, whether you're building a small business or a startup or whatever it is, right? Try as you might, you might have a great idea, but you also have to be, to you have to be ready and be able to match the moment. So I have spent 10 years sort of as a small business entrepreneur and then, you know, startup life. But a lot of that time was, growing as a leader, you know, to be able to meet the moment that I'm in right now. And we don't talk about that often when people are talking about like growth, 
of the business. We don't, you know, sometimes the growth of the business might be, it, it might be hampered by funding, but it could also be hampered by where you are as an entrepreneur and your own capacity to think and where you can grow. You touched upon so many things and you hit on things that I think to your point, we don't talk about, right? And I love this notion of problem and solution and making bold decisions and really coming to our own as entrepreneurs. A lot of people say they want to be entrepreneurs. A lot of people do things that make them seem on the outside as entrepreneurs, but really taking that time to grow into the leader. And I love this being ready to match the moment. And I was having a conversation with someone um, the other day and they were just like, you know, you're not a startup. And I was just taken back by it because I'm like, we're a startup. And they're like, no, actually, you're not. You could be the one holding you back saying that you're a startup because everything that you're doing is so far beyond startup mode. And we talked about this notion of vision catching up with business, catching up with passion, catching up with revenue and profitability. And I love how you said like the business and economics and business perspective, right? So you can take that and we instinctively know it, but it takes time to build that. So there's no one who can tell me that they started in a business and within one year they've grown into being able to lead that organization into the future growth because it is, it, it is, it's a process and it takes time and the ability to have the people around you say, you now got it. That's when we have to say, you know what I do and I'm unlocking it and I'm going to hold it and I'm going to claim it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, you know, and I, and I love, I just, your approach to it is different because you're a thinker and this notion of humanity. I think that it's so clear now because we have to have more than just the capitalistic approach to I'm going to make money from this. Yes, we do want to make money and we do have lives, but I think the most successful people are the ones who are doing it and coming from a place of humanity. Now there's a lot of not good people who have made a whole lot of money. I can't get into their souls or what's happening with them. (laughs) I know mine. (laughs) And talk through, so when we think about this notion, you know, for you, being an entrepreneur, say I've been doing this for 10 years, 12 years, I've grown. How did you make this pivot? Because I caught you, you said pivot, and then you said versus evolution. Those are very distinct words. And the way that you caught yourself in saying it, um, it was really, of course, intentional because everything you do is. But I want to go deeper in that because you made such a distinction about it. Talk about that through the lens of business. Absolutely. So the reason why I made that distinction was because when we decided to launch Genie, the goal there was always to build a platform that enabled beauty businesses, not necessarily beauty creators, but beauty businesses to make more money and mostly people from marginalized audiences, right? Because that that was just always the goal, right? And our target audience was people of color, um, it's um, Gen Z, it's, you know, beyond the gender binary, um, it's intersectional. And like that, none of that has changed, right? What has changed is what we started to notice around 
who are real, like who is actually attracted to um, our ethos, like, you know, what we, what we stand for, you know, building this intersectional beauty community, like who, who was attracted to that idea? And it was mostly beauty creators. So folks who are creating beautiful editorial looks on the internet every day, right? They tend to be the most, beauty is, tends to be one, if not the most, one of the top three socially engaged categories on the net, right? Many of these folks, not all of them, some folks are, you know, beauty creators and are doing traditional uh, review content, right? Like, oh, you know, let me show you this latest lipstick or, you know, they introduce you to a product. But a, va- a vast majority or a great chunk of this audience is like people who are actually using their face as a canvas and creating whole worlds on their face, right? So like yes. if you look at the euphoria trend of like people creating all these euphoria looks or the cosplayers or, you know, um, Cut Creaser is like a famous Instagram and TikToker and like she does all these amazing creative looks on her face. And like, so you have like these people that are like using, like spending hours at a time, right? To build beautiful looks for fun, passion, love of the art. So what that sounded like to us when we started to dig deeper, I'm like, this is a class of artists. Like these Mm -hmm. are not, like right now they're being, you know, the way for them to make money doing a thing that they love is through brand partnerships. They're seen in the lens of like media dollars, right? So like if you have X amount of followers, then a brand will pay you Y, right? Like, so that's how they're, that's their way to, livelihood right but that's not necessarily the reason why they went into creating beauty content they they're they're there to express their art they're there for self-expression so how do we help elevate this new class of artists that that was the question that we asked ourselves after we saw the audience that came to genie and we began that journey last fall like you know the market we had the marketplace going and we're like we don't think the marketplace as it exists is quite right like because it's not really getting to yes you can buy you can find the products that you you know you can match your desire to be an intentional consumer to your desire to also be self-expressive right like if you you could do that right but we're like this is not quite hitting it and so we started to look at the Web3 space. We started to look at NFTs, started to look at crypto. And we're like, you know what? Like what's happening here is like this idea that like in this new iteration of the web, finally content creators are going to be able to own their own content. So we're reversing it, right? It's not like the platforms are calling the shots and then the content creators then come in and have to conform to the playground of Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, it's like, now, no, I own my content. You know, I decide where it goes, how, and like what that means. So we're like, okay, we're building, and this is what we announced on Wednesday, we're building a platform to onboard beauty creators into Web3. So that's broadly speaking what we're doing. Um, And what that looks like, we're going to help them elevate their art to the to the level of like going from content creator to beauty artist. So like just elevate their art, right? Um, connect with mutuals. This is what they call each other when they're like, you know, fo- they, you follow me, I follow you. We're in a mutual like family and connection. 
um, and en enable more economic stakes from those mutuals, otherwise ca called fan communities. Um, and then, you know, finally get some coins, you know, make some money, you know, <laughs> exactly. merchandise their content in a whole new way and make money from that content, whether that's through some, some, some of them building NFTs and making collectibles, potentially creating a universal smart contract um, for brands that brands now have to meet the, the creators in a new way, you know, but what our whole goal is, is to really become a thought partner and an economic partner for beauty creators as we move into Web3. Wow. I mean, it's so fascinating because we're all looking at the terms Web3, Metaverse, NFT, like all these different things. And in the conversations I've been having is how as Black people, we're, we're leading culture, we're leading trends. And once again, getting into the space, when we think about crypto and the people who have made money supposedly from crypto and all these things, we've been excluded or the price to get in and cost of entry is so high that the people that created it and had the intuition and the creative foresight are now being left behind, which is what we don't want to have happen. And so again, this word intentional, which is woven through everything that you do and saying Web3, NFT, crypto, being able to elevate their work, because even when we look at the stats of Black creators, they are still paid less than their counterparts, even though their counterparts are biting their style and taking their content. So this notion of turning a beauty creator into a beauty artist, how do we look at our art, but then make sure, not from a capitalist perspective, but that we're making money on the value that we bring to the space and the creativity. And so it is fascinating. And when you think about, you said, you know, I own my content, I decide in where I want it to be. What's the role of Genie? Is Genie giving the, the tools and the resources? Are you the foundational element? Are you also, in some cases, agenting and managing? What's the goal and where do you see the evolution of this going as you start to own this space for Black artists? Yeah. Um, and I would say it's, it's broadly speaking BIPOC artists. Um, so, yeah, so broadly speaking BIPOC artists. And um, so first it is education. So we um, are doing a free course, an intro to Web3 for beauty creators. Uh, which launches next month. It'll be open for registration. Then it will start a first cohort in September. So that'll be like a free Great. course. Where it'll be asynchronous content that you can take. And then a few live classes where we'll just have like people come, experts come and you can ask questions. So um, so first, yes, it will be edu like just an educational layer because, you know, we think foundationally, like people need to get educated, right? People need to understand- yes. You know, we because we thought like initially we're like, oh, yes, we we would be like the open sea for beauty. Right. But <clears throat> that would not make sense. And that would be really irresponsible because what you would be doing is like you're just creating, you know, you would create this marketplace and people wouldn't necessarily know the best case use for it. Right. So, yes, first is education. This, the second pillar, we're, we're going to have like a, a DAO. So like a social DAO <clears throat> for makeup creators. Right. And as a part of that DAO, that the function of that will be to decide on what are the collectibles in this community. And the third element of that, who could be the first, is going back to this idea of the elevating of the art. So 
our platform that we're building will be, you know, a traditional NFT marketplace where we'll, but they'll be curated NFTs that'll be exclusive partnerships between Genie and beauty creators, right? So they're not, it won't be like anybody can come onto the website and make an NFT, no. It'll be all curated in partnership with us, right? And as a direct outgrowth of what's happening in the DAO, right? But the other cool functionality of that space, or what we're trying to do is build out this library of looks is what we're calling it, where like um, beauty creators will have a new gallery home to showcase their art in a new way. So now like if you're a creator, you're, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, you're on, you know, uh, uh, inst- uh, excuse me, TikTok, right? And you have all this content everywhere and someone would have to be following you in all those channels. But like, what if you could just say like, here is um, my euphoria story in one place and here's the meaning behind it. Here's what I think of this. Like tell a story, literally like a gallery, right? Like really yeah. tell, like display, like your exhibit essentially, and then connect it to other beauty creators that are doing similar work. So be in conversation with other artists. So that's what we mean by like elevating the work beyond like, you know, social media channels that just kind of like you dump content and then you you kind of had you have to adhere to their platform and their platform rules. On our platform that we're building be these new type of galleries where people can showcase the story behind their content um, and connect it to other beauty creators and tell that story for for the for the larger beauty community. So I'm so glad that you broke out this into three pillars because they're all equally connected. And even looking at BIPOC artists as the through line of who you're trying to target, you've talked a lot about Gen Z, intersectionality, and really creating a place to give way to the different type of consumer and the different type of artist. And so when we think about this notion of education, um, two, through the form of community, through a DAO, and then three, elevating, because this, this notion of elevation through curation, I think is really important. And I think that that's what's going to be, or give us the ability to kind of cut through. And, you know, I just, you're just so smart and it makes sense. Like your thesis on open sea, because whenever you said it, I was like, ah, that is really a smart way to approach it because that's not what we're trying to solve for. We're trying to solve for the other piece of it. And if we can do that collectively, then open sea, it doesn't even matter. That's not the thesis. So when we think about showcasing the content and telling the story, you know, what do you see for this? Because you've laid it out so well. There's a lot happening in this space now. So when you project, you know, I, I know with what's happened in the world, it's hard to even say, like, what does three years look like? But there's been so many conversations about the future of NFTs, metaphors. Are the average art beauty artists going to truly make money? Is this going to be the new livelihood in the way that we connect? I think, yes, I think it's going to take time. So in your model, what do you see as kind of the continuum of time that's going to get us to where your vision starts to accelerate in the place that you want? Yeah, it's a great question because honestly, going back to like the goal here is to create a middle class of beauty artists. So like that's legit, like that's our North Star first and foremost. So like any, because what we see, you know, just like in any 
category, there's a lot of inequality. There's very, very small number of people who are influencers who are making money, right? Like a very small, you know, group of people who are making some money, right? Vast majority of creators on the internet are not making any money at all, right? So if we can, you know, use the tools of Web3, and if we could use the promise of this decentralized environment to uh, to work with great because you know part of it is like we have some ideas around what might work we we definitely have some ideas and thoughts around even as so much as the sort of the gallery is one of our core ideas around what might work but for us it's like we need to gather and we want to actually in this DAO community figure out like together so some of so some of what we see as our role is to lead, right? So we are going to build some things on our own, but part of it is to follow and to enable a community yes. to organize and to figure out ways because folks are super smart and they're super creative and they're you know they've black folks in particular have reimagined Twitter and Instagram and TikTok into a whole other so it's like if we basically bring people to the party we think the party's going to figure out some cool things you know and like you know how do we enable that party and like and and kind of create an infrastructure for that party to land and some safety for that party to do its best work like that's really you know how do we not be like how do we be amazing partners and not you know i don't know folks who are just trying to make a quick buck and don't, because that's the reason why a lot of artists are not seeing any real money, right? Because it's other, you know, the collect, it's been a collector driven endeavor, right? Like so far crypto has been all about the collectors. We tell people we're not even, I don't even like, you've you've noticed, I haven't even mentioned the collectors. They're not, they're not even a factor for me right now. (laughs) It's literally the creators. Like we're like, if we build it, if we build a space for creators, the collectors, they'll come at some point, right? The brands and the collectors, they'll be there. But we need to get this right for the creators. We need to get them excited. We need to see, get them to see all the different possibilities. They need to see like how cosmetics companies are like making all these partnerships with gaming companies. And like they need to think, oh, wow, how can I maybe get into that? You know, like we want to bring them into what's happening and then be that space for them and and then see where it goes. Yes. That uh, it, it's just it's ringing so true to me. You know, we launched our Brain Trust Founder Studio to support Black Beauty and Wellness founders and I'm so aligned trying with how you think about it because there's a lot of smart people doing amazing things and coming up with great concepts. And I always believed for myself, like I'm here to be of service. The whole reason I did it was because I don't know the answers. People are way smarter, have better ideas, have different experience, but that doesn't discredit my experience. It means that collectively together, we can share our communal experience and we can all change the world and we can create impact. And even when we say things like change the world, we can change the world by coming together in community. You're changing the world by having the notion of doing it, right? Every small piece that we can do that impacts someone else for good and purpose and mission and drives us forward, that is us changing the world. And so your ability to really put it in this succinct way of like enabling the community to organize in ways that we couldn't 
and then saying like the party will figure it out. Like we're going to give you the infrastructure. We're going to give you this education. And then we're going to build this space directly for you. Because when we put others in terms of the brands and the this and the that before the creators who are actually giving the brands the content to do what they want to do, that's where we misplace our value. Exactly. Exactly. And this is why, you know, the the folks who are extracting the most money in this beauty ecosystem are the larger brands and the app, you know, the app, like the platforms themselves. It's not the creators, you know, it's like not the people that are actually building the wonderful world of beauty that we love. Right. Like th- those are not the folks who are like extracting the most value. So it I, I, just exactly what you said. It matters who designs these things and why they're designing them, which is kind of going back to my earlier point around bringing your, you know, for whoever's listening, who has like deep passion for the world and wants people to do well and like has a, you know, it has a lot of empathy and, you know, can't stand capitalism, can't stand inequality is, you know, maybe not, you know, thinks crypto is, terrible for the environment, like, you know, whatever perspectives you have, I would encourage you to dig in, right? And figure out how you can bend things in your way, like build, bend it and build it to your specifications. Because the thing is, is it's happening regardless, right? So like Web3 is here. It's not going anywhere. Crypto is here. I mean, maybe in a down market or whatever, but like, it's not, there's too much uh, infrastructure that's been built up and too many large investors who have hitched their wagon to, you know, this next version of the web. So it's here, right? So like, there's not much we can do about it being here, but we can decide, you know, is this going to be an, you know, an unequal experience that it's been for creators on TikTok or Twitter? And like, you know, are we going to continue to, create around the web and not see as much value return to us? Like, do we want that to be the experience again? Or do we do something else? You know, like, so I think there are just some decisions that we get to make here that are really interesting. Whew. I, we do. We really do. And the way that you've phrased it is so powerful, right? Like we all have to dig in and figure out how to bend and build to our specifications. And the reality is that we don't want to let it pass us by. We don't want to create, you know, in our lifetime, these channels and platforms and things that continue to build off of our value and our brains and our thinking. And so to your point, it's here. So what are we going to do to create an equal experience while we can? And I think people like you leading the charge, the Gen Z community who you've been listening to and empowering and bringing together, the convening of that is what's going to give us this new equal playing field when we think about the future that's right in front of us. And that for the first time, there are no boundaries to get into something new. It's about how do we come together, get educated to your point, because the education and letting people know what's out there, how they can exist and how they can move and how they can build to their specifications is really kind of the first piece of this. So I applaud you. I cannot wait to 
work with you on this and to do more because I know it's going to be super, super successful. Um, and we'll have to have you back and talk about as this has evolved because I'm like, this is this is phenomenal. So I thank you so much. And um, the last thing that we always do on the show, um, which will be right in because we can go back to the to the roots of the genie of genie in the, the box. But what is um, one product that you'd like to share and highlight so that we can all go out and get it and try it? Ooh, that's a great one. Oh, so my friend just came out with a brand. It's called So Prima. I always want to say Sue Prima <laughs> because it's S-E-A-U, <laughs> but it's actually So Prima. And it's a mist. Um, a high, it uses hyaluronic. I can never pronounce it. Oh, hyaluronic. Yes. Uh-huh. Hyaluronic acid is like the secret ingredient. And it's the thing that makes it powerful. But basically, she likes to describe it as the thing that makes everything else great. So you put it on your face and it just enables all of your, like everything else you put on after that to just sink in. Like, you know, your your skin is just more clear it's shinier it's nice you actually feel good when you put the mist on um so i really like it and i'm not just saying it because i know the founder and she's a friend of mine um but actually co-founders uh both of them are friends of mine um it's not because of that but it's actually a great phenomenal product so so prima it's just d to c now um so you could just go to their website or find them on instagram perfect that's Fantastic. This is a great one. And it's S-E-A-U Prima. So, wow. Oh my gosh, honey, you are phenomenal. I am so thankful to Catherine Connors for For introducing us. Like, like, we've got to take her to tea. So just, I mean, you're so powerful. You're so wise. This notion of humanity, of intersectionality, you know, all of the ways that we can change our narrative. And I love this notion of building to our own specifications, not standing by, but saying, how do we create our own equal path and doing it through these new modern forms of community, of brand building, and what's going to drive to your point, the revenue and the dollars for us. So um, I'm excited. Thank you for spending so much time and sharing. Thank you. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And thank you so much to Chana. I have now learned about Suprema and that is at S-E-A-U underscore Prima, P-R-I-M-A. Suprema, two co-founders who are Chana's dear friends. So make sure you check it out. And I also want to leave you with one thing from today's guest. And that is dig in and figure out how to bend and build to your specifications. No longer can we sit back and say it doesn't work for us or we're not trying something new or that wasn't built for us. It's time that we all dig in and figure out how to bend and build to our own specifications so that we can ensure that we will not have an unequal experience. So with that, make sure that you follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week.
Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, associate producer Ariel Mancibo, executive producer Kendra Bracken Ferguson, edited by Fish Mar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, and on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.